Have you ever wondered what it's like to witness a murder? Forrest grabbed the knife and then just stabbed Johnny in one motion. Or how it feels to be shot. I was immediately hit by a barrage of bullets. Or how you would react if your spouse hired someone to kill you. And he was to put me in a grave with a bullet wound on my head. These are the stories you'll hear on the podcast called What Was That Like? True stories told by the actual person who went through it. You'll hear from a stalking victim. Came back upstairs and when I came back and turned the corner into my room, I saw him standing there. You'll hear from a man who was kidnapped and tortured. I would do anything, say anything, to simply get away. And you'll hear actual 911 calls. Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Real people in unreal situations. Search for What Was That Like on any podcast app or at whatwasthatlike.com. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. This podcast contains adult themes and language, and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. And welcome to Fruit Loop Season 3, Episode 3. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and their victims that we do not hear or know much about. Contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are white dudes. <laughs> Would you believe the girls? <laughs> there are many well-documented cases of serial killers of color and Fruit Loops is a podcast all about them. We will take deep dives into the fascinating lives and crimes of serial killers and true crimes committed by people of color and their victims that the media and entertainment commonly leave out because the news is racist. Allegedly. And we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy. I'm Beth. We're not journalists, investigators, or psychologists. Just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Also, the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that our opinions. Please send any questions or comments to 
fruitloopspod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 602-935-6294 and we may feature it on a future episode. Mm -hmm. Also, our website is fruitloopspod.com. Our Facebook page is Fruit Loops Pod, and our discussion group is Fruit Loops Pod Discussion on Facebook. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at Fruit Loops Pod. And if you're not on Facebook, you can join the discussion on Twitter or Instagram by using the hashtag Fruit Loops Pod Discussion. Well, there you go. And if you want to support the show, you can by sending us a donation on the Cash app, which you can download to your phone. Or you can find online at cash.me forward slash dollar sign Fruit Loops Pod. Or you can become a monthly patron through our Podbean patron page. We also have some merch for sale on our website at fruitloopspod.com forward slash merch. If you can't help monetarily, no problem. You can always give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. And be sure to share our show with your friends. Yeah. (laughs) So who are we talking about today, Beth? Today we are talking about Roberta Elder, also known as Mrs. Bluebeard. She killed three husbands and multiple family members. So before we get into it, how you doing? I'm all right. I've got nothing new to report, which is good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no news is good news. You were going through it. For a little bit, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So good, good. I'm happy about your non-news news. Yes. <laughs> so how are you doing? Um, I'm doing awesome. I, I drove across the country with my family and I'm in the Midwest right now. Which wow. Is, I, I, and I've said this on other other episodes because we have covered some killers who have been in the Midwest. It is like a foreign land to me. <laughs> Um, and I've never, I've never seen it. I've never driven across the country. So it was really, um, beautiful, like to see, um, sort of what the Midwest looks yeah. like. And we drove through Colorado, we drove through Utah, but can I go home now? Uh, anyway, I'm <laughs> just kidding. Uh, also <laughs> I met one of my heroines oh, this wow. week. So are, are are you familiar with Teresa Strasser or like the Adam Carolla show? I know of the Adam Carolla show, but um, I don't know who Teresa Strasser is. And I never really watched the Adam Carolla show. Okay. So I have been a, a fan of the Adam Carolla show since I was in like elementary school. Um, and he used to come on the radio and uh, eventually and they, they call him, some people call him the godfather of podcasting. Anyway, Teresa Strasser was his news gal and um, she is, I think, the smartest woman in radio. Oh, wow. Um, and I've been a fan of hers since, again, since I was um, a kid. And uh, she was also on the John Jane Rich show here in the Valley. It's syndicated all over the country. But she covered when um, Kyle, the girl DJ, was like on maternity leave. Um, she's also um, a writer. She's written books a TV host, an Emmy nominee, and podcaster extraordinaire. She has, pod- she has oh, done wow. several podcasts. Um, but she, we, we ran into her at Dave & Buster's for my kid's birthday party. And she was so kind to me and so kind to my kids. I sent her a DM on Instagram and she like replied to me right away. And so I just wanted to say how awesome it was to meet someone I idolize. And it was That's a really awesome. positive experience. So shout out to, to Teresa Crosser. Very yeah. Cool. So, um... Yeah, so you should check her out. Anyway, um, now we are going to get into our mailbag. Oh, there, there we go. Are. It's the usual. <laughs> it came to the Midwest. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> what are you guys doing here? They know where you are. <laughs> <laughs> they 
I found you. Just like Santa. Isn't that amazing how they do that? It's kind of creepy. By the way, what's crazy about the Midwest? Well, a lot of things I think are crazy uh-huh. about the Midwest. Don't get me started. But first and foremost, it is summertime and it doesn't get dark until like nine nine thirty. I know. It's crazy. It's crazy. It throws everything you should off. Try, you should try Canada. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I can't. I, I can't. This is so weird. It's like 10, 1030 before it gets dark there. Can you imagine? I mean, well, I have little kids and I'm like trying to put them to bed and they're like, why should we go to yeah, bed? It's, it's still light out. It's light out. What are you, crazy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not bedtime. <laughs> yeah. So what do you got in the mailbag, Ben? You go first. Okay. So nap time, Nancy Drew. I love your handle. <laughs> yeah. And she's got a podcast, I think. Oh, cool. A true crime podcast. <laughs> uh, on <laughs> Apple Podcasts said, I love Fruit Loops and I'm learning so much about so many crimes that have flown under the radar because they haven't received the attention from the media that they deserve. Keep up the great work, ladies. Hey, thank you, nap thank time, you. Nancy Drew. <laughs> Hip hop airheads to you, girl. Yeah. Uh, so I wanted to read an, an email from Dana, and she said, uh, "You guys are my favorite history teachers." Nice. Yes, thank you. Burr, burr, burr. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Hi, Wendy and Beth. I recently discovered Fruit Loops Pod, and I am happy to say I have spent the past two weeks binging it at work and I'm getting close to being caught up. As a young white woman who grew up in a primarily white area, I can't explain how much I appreciate Culture Corner. I can say I have learned more from you guys about Black history in America than I had been taught in two years of American history in high school. Wow. I didn't even know what the Great Migration was before listening to Fruit Loops. So shout out to that. Yeah. Uh, it shows that the education system has really failed me as a person that wants to hear the minority views of history. As a person with many friends who are POC, I am always looking to understand their history and just basically be the best ally to POCs I can. And Culture Corner helps me so much with that. Additionally, I cannot explain how great it is to hear inclusion in the LGBTQ plus community in your podcast as a bi woman. All right. Yeah. So keep doing you ladies because this is the shit people need to hear. So wow. <laughs> you know what, Dana? <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much. I'm so happy because yeah. uh, that was part of my goal was to get into some history and just like mm-hmm. talk about stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. And um. You know, we're learning too as we're researching the show, so it feels really cool to like learn learn along. Yeah, with I you love guys. learning. So, so and and uh, I also yeah. did not know about the Great Migration until Wendy told me about it. So come isn't on, that crazy? Y'all. yeah, nuts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So and actually, um, the setting takes place uh, during the Great Migration, although um, our subject, Miss Elder, did not migrate anywhere. She. <laughs> Just killed people in the in the just south. Kind of hung around and killed people. <laughs> yeah, she, yeah, that's right. So, uh, <laughs> thanks for the letters. We love you guys. Keep them coming. But for now, we're going to take a quick ad break, and then we're going to get to the story when we come on back. We would like to invite any listeners who have a business to advertise to do it with us. For more information, please email us at fruitloopspod at gmail or check out our website at fruitlooppod.com. So uh, we're back. So who are we talking about, Beth? Who's our subject? 
Today we're talking about Roberta Elder, also known as Mrs. Bluebeard. Her suspected victims include three husbands, four of her children, three stepchildren, her mother, her grandchild, a cousin, and the former wife of a husband. And yeah. <laughs> she was on a killing spree. Yeah. So I'm proud of this. <laughs> So I wanted to mention that the term Bluebeard is from a French folktale that tells the story of a wealthy, violent man who habitually marries and then murders his wives. The term is usually used to describe a man who murders his wives, but in this case, the Bluebeard is a woman. Ooh, so let's get into it. First part of the story, which is my favorite, <laughs> is the stats. <laughs> All right. So... Let's get into the victims, y'all. Okay, so there was 14 family members that this woman killed in 14 years. The suspected victims of Roberta Elder include three husbands, boom, including a common law husband, boom, four of her children, three stepchildren, a grandchild, a cousin, a former wife of a husband, woo, that gets a lot of hip hop hair and an elderly friend. Okay, I'm done. Uh, the span of the crimes took place from 1938 to 1952. Her modus operandi was arsenic poisoning, and uh, her motivation was financial gain via life insurance payouts. And the place was Atlanta, Georgia. They call her hot, hot and Hannah, the vamp of Savannah. I just wanted, just wanted to, to sing that. Anyway, <laughs> the meanest gal in town. <laughs> So that's Roberta. Okay. <laughs> so now we're going to dive into the setting. Take us there, Ben. So the setting is Atlanta, Georgia in the early to mid 20th century. So the beginning of the 20th century did not bode well for Atlanta. In 1906, there was a riot that's been called the Atlanta Riot of 1906. Um, and also it's been called the Atlanta Race Riot. During the riot, about 10,000 or so white men and boys attacked black people in the city on September 22nd, 1906. Welcome to Culture Corner with Wendy and Beth. <clears throat> Gosh, there's so many weird race things in American history. But um, so there was this riot at this one particular time, but violence um, perpetrated against black people in the South is not an isolate there's not isolated incidents yeah. there was a whole culture of and still is kind of a whole culture of um uh racial terror and racial violence so these 10,000 white guys um they weren't the only ones perpetrating this violence on black people in the south which is why the which was the reason for the great migration in the first place right right um so the immediate cause of the riot was the newspaper reporting of alleged assaults on white women by black men, which is something that mostly happened in white people's minds and racist white people's minds and didn't really happen in um, actuality. None of these assaults were ever substantiated. Historians and contemporary commentators also cited the stage production of the Klansman in Atlanta as a contributing factor. The Klansman was written by Thomas Dixon Jr. And boy, I hear the name Dixon and think... <laughs> Turns out he was. And the story, the story depicted white mobs rampaging through black communities. 
The real reason for the riot was white people who feared losing jobs to lesser paid black people, as well as the fear of a rising black middle class. This fear was then stoked by the newspaper stories. The mob surged through black Atlanta neighborhoods, destroying businesses and assaulting hundreds of black men and some women as well. Uh, The violence became so dangerous that the state militia was called in to take control of the city. Still, some white groups persisted in attacking black neighborhoods and black men organized to defend their homes and families. Blacks accused the Atlanta Police Department and some guardsmen for participating in the violence against them, which uh, probably did happen. Oh, I'm sure it did. I mean, a lot of uh, and even to this day, um, the the racists and the white supremacists that um, are around, they are are con- some of them are congressmen. Some of them are mayors. Mm-hmm. Some of them are police. Some of them are judges. Some of them are teaching our children. Um, they you don't necessarily have to have a white hood on your head or call somebody the N word, you know, 10 times a day in order to be um, considered a, a racist or white supremacist. Right. I had to say that because there's some clown in the white house who thinks that those are the requirements oh, and yeah, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, the riot lasted from September 22nd to September 24th. Official estimates counted the number of blacks killed between 25 and 40, and only two white people were killed. Unofficial reports ranged from actually 10 to 100 black people killed during the riots. Hundreds more people were injured or saw businesses and homes destroyed. Black residential neighborhoods became increasingly racially isolated after the riot. And part of that has to do with safety. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They were safer when they kept themselves. Uh, And then the Great Depression hit in 1929 uh, and lasted through the 30s. As we know, it was the worst economic downturn in the industrialized world. While no group of people escaped the economic devastation of the Great Depression, few suffered more than the Black population. Said to be last hired, first fired, Blacks were the first to see hours and jobs cut, and they experienced the highest unemployment rate during the 1930s. Mm -hmm. Since they were already relegated to lower paying professions, Black families had less of a financial cushion to fall back on when the economy collapsed. Um, At this time in America, Black people could only take jobs as um, like janitors, Mm -hmm. um, maids, cooks, um, those kinds of uh, things. Um, uh, Black unemployment rates in the South were double or even triple that of the white population in Atlanta, nearly 70% of Black workers were jobless in 1934. Wow, that's so, huge. Not easy. Yeah. 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 Um, so now we're going to get into the killer's early life. Oh, there, unfortunately, there wasn't very much <laughs> yeah. out there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, unfortunately, we don't know much about Roberta Elder's early life. And these are the cases that are the hardest. Well, these these ones where we have very little information, and then the ones where we have too much information, those are both like the right. hardest ones to do. <laughs> Yeah, but you know what? I mean, I wonder if maybe um, somebody will hear this podcast and be like, somebody needs to write a, yeah. write a book about her. I, or I have yeah. more and send it to us that'd, or, that'd you know, awesome. get, get, yeah. get to the, yeah, get to the Atlanta archives and do some more research. I don't know. And then, and then maybe more will come yeah. of this. Maybe in 10 years, Roberta Elder, maybe she'll have her own Netflix documentary. <laughs> I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, Ted Bundy. <laughs> um, anyway, <laughs> Uh, all we know is that she was apparently from Watkinsville, Georgia, originally, and then at some point she moved to Atlanta. 
Um, so now we're going to dive into the timeline of the murder. Yeah, so um, it's it's kind of vague, so we apologize for that. We did the best we could. There was very, very little information about this. So, And I wonder why. Well, we all know why. <laughs> <laughs> so in 1938, Roberta's common law husband, John Woodward, um, also sometimes referred to as John Woodward Thurmond. So I'm not really sure if he had the last name Thurmond or if that was a previous husband. That was hard to figure out. But in any case, John Woodward mm-hmm. died. He was 36. And then uh, two infants also died, a two-week-old baby girl, Willie mm-hmm. Mae Thurmond, and a one-week-old baby girl, Lizzie Mae Thurmond. Both, yeah, both were her biological daughters. Santa Maria, are you serious? Oh my God, that's awful. And we're unclear on the dates of these deaths. I don't know if they happened before her husband died. Um, Like if she, I'm not sure if she was married to somebody else named Thurmond. I was really confused Mm -hmm. about this part, so... Um, but mm. they did die. So two babies died. Oh man! In June of 1939, Willie Thurmond, who was 12, and Roberta's stepson, he died. And what was recorded on the death certificate is that it was from malnutrition and respiratory trouble. And then in 1943, mm. Roberta's grandchild, Jimmy Lee Crane Hunter, who was two, also died. Oh my God! I. I, I I know we're going to get into our takeaways later, but I don't understand babies, yeah. a woman killing yeah. little kids in your own family that you should yeah. have so much love for. I mean, kids in general. Your own kids your and grandkids. Kids yeah. and grandkids. Yeah. So on December 26, 1944, Roberta's cousin, Gloria Evans, died from food poisoning or acute gastroenteritis. In 1945, Roberta's mother, Collie Brown died. Okay, that is wild. In 1947, her husband James Garfield Crane died at age 45. In January 1950, Willie Mae Elder, who was the former wife of Roberta's next husband, died at age 41 from quote-unquote influenza. And Roberta then married Reverend William Elder in 1950. The two set up a household with William's five children from his previous marriage, Uh, But only one year into their marriage, on January 11th, 1951, William's daughter, Annie Pearl, age nine, became ill and died of quote-unquote pneumonia. Then in March of 1951, William's daughter, Fannie Mae Elder, 15, died also of quote-unquote pneumonia. And then on December 22nd, 1951, at age 93, Roberta's friend, Nora Scott Harris, died. Mm. So, so, okay, so she kills these five kids' mom, Willie Mae, right. and then marries their dad, and then starts killing, killing them off, yeah. The kids, like one by yeah. one. Wild. And I wonder, the friend thing is weird. Like, yeah. did she know something? Uh, she was 93, so I don't know. Um, she might have died of natural causes, or she could have been killed. I don't know. Who <laughs> knows? Serious. Uh, murder. <laughs> That's my Keith Morrison impression. I know I'm not very good at it. Anyway. It was murder. It was murder. Tonight on Dateline. <laughs> anyway, August 21st, 1952, Roberta's husband, William Elder, died. William, a construction worker by day and uh, 
was he a reverend? At, at, yes. He must have been a reverend. He was a, a construction worker by day and a reverend at night. A reverend at night. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, by the way, that's my my dad did that kind of oh, thing. Oh, okay, he, okay. Um, yeah, I think it's pretty reverend. common. Yeah, because uh, let's face it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Being a reverend doesn't pay. doesn't pay very much. <laughs> so, <laughs> you unless, really... unless you're like in a really, um, you know, wealthy church. Yeah. You really have to be called by the Lord. Yes. Uh, really want to do it uh, and not uh, make a ton of money unless you're Joel Olstein, who is a oh, rich yeah. asshole. Anyway, um, <laughs> so he was a construction worker by day. Uh, he became ill at work and started vomiting and sweating. Uh, when asked what was wrong, he told his foreman that he had eaten bananas and cheese. Roberta called in a doctor who gave him medicine and instructed the family to call if the reverend did not improve. The doctor was not called again until William was already dying. So those are all the killings. And now we're going to get into the investigation and the arrest. Hit it, Beth! <laughs> I laugh every time. <laughs> After William died, the doctor refused to sign the death certificate. He had noticed that the Reverend Elder's skin looked ruddy and his body mm. was emaciated. He recalled that he had signed a death certificate the year before for Elder's daughter, Fannie Mae, the cause of death having been listed as pneumonia. And the year previously, the doctor had signed a death certificate for Annie Pearl Elder, another daughter, the cause of death also having been listed as pneumonia. Okay. Miss mm. Elder has some splaining to do. Yep, he's on to her. <laughs> So the doctor notified the coroner, uh, concerned about the multiple elder family deaths. That is a lot of deaths. By the way, I, so I'm at my I'm at my brother in law and sister in law's house, and they were like, "What's a podcast? And what's this about?" And I was like, like telling them, and they were like, "Whatever I say, I say I have a true crime podcast." And then and they're like, "Oh, cool! I've heard about those." And then I'm like, "But I only talk about black people and people of color and uh, LGBTQ people." And they're like, "Is there enough?" content yeah. out there so you guys can, you can and yeah there is guys so um anyway i why i don't know why i brought that up anyway uh forgive me for being a dodo brain sometimes the coroner decided to test whether the reverend elder could have died of arsenic poisoning the symptoms of which apparently present a lot like pneumonia after finding arsenic in the Reverend's body and tests showed that enough grains of arsenic were in the Rev's um, body to kill three men. Whoa, that is a lot. <laughs> he decided it was time to alert the authorities to the multiple deaths. Police attention immediately turned to Roberta. The surviving family members were all treated for exposure to arsenic after showing symptoms themselves. Each of the deceased elder family members had a life insurance policy taken out in their names by Roberta. Police ordered the exhumation of Annie Pearl and Fannie Mae, and trace evidence of arsenic was found in both of the girls' hair. Enough evidence, the police believed, to arrest Roberta Elder. Gotcha, bitch. Yep. Hey, so I know why I brought that up, because... um. My, I was telling my brother-in-law and sister-in-law about this case, uh -huh. and they were like, "How could how could somebody kill for fourteen years and not fourteen not people in their yeah. family?" <laughs> yeah, and I again because the news is racist, and also so law enforcement, <laughs> and so uh, like the deaths of these black people is like, I'm like whatever, who cares? Yeah. Who cares? Yes. So what? So what? Yeah. Who cares? 
anyway, uh, Atlanta detectives compiled a list of persons who had died since 1938 while living with Roberta Elder in her native Watkinville, Georgia, and in Atlanta. They found 13 possible victims from two weeks old to 93 years of age. Most of them have died of pneumonia, uremia, or food poisoning. Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. How we care for our minds affects how we experience life, so it's important to invest time and care into keeping them healthy. There are plenty of ways to support a healthy brain, like learning a new language or taking power naps, but there's also BetterHelp Online Therapy. Now, we are huge advocates for mental health here at Fruit oh, yeah. HQ. Oh, yes. And we have both used therapy throughout our lives, including BetterHelp, and especially in these past several years to help us deal with challenging times, mm-hmm. challenging thoughts, feelings and experiences. Amen. Yes. And uh, now I had a recent, you know, conversation with my therapist. She was saying sometimes it's just good to talk and get some perspective. You don't yeah. have to go to a therapist just because stuff is wrong. So Right, right. And BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat only therapy sessions. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. And some people get really anxious about that. So Oh, yes. And it is much more affordable than in-person therapy. And you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash fruit. That's betterhelp.com slash fruit. Most of them were insured with policies from $30 to $500. And I also read one source that said up to $3,000 and died within about a year of being insured. Described as careful talking, almost emotionless, and some said cool as a cucumber. Roberta Elder denied Hmm. even knowing what arsenic looked like at a coroner's jury hearing. She did admit Hmm. to taking insurance policies out on most of the deceased a few months prior to their deaths with herself as the beneficiary. At the hearing, it was also revealed that two living daughters of the Reverend Elder had been tested for poisoning that year at a local hospital. Well, child, (laughs) I don't even know what... Arsenic looks like, child. Um, that's my real housewife of Atlanta impression. I did not even know. I should stop. Okay, Reverend Elder's children had observed that Roberta gave him milk of magnesia, as she did for their sisters, to help ease their symptoms. But they later suspected this was how she administered the poison. Roberta was arrested by order of Fulton County Coroner's Jury, The police, however, could never prove that she ever purchased arsenic, though William's surviving children believe she got it from her brother's farm. And milk of magnesia, doesn't that make you poop? Or or does it calm your stomach? It calms your stomach. Yeah, it's supposed to calm your stomach, but not when it's full of arsenic. (laughs) Right. Oh, didn't read the instructions yeah. on that one. <laughs> what, you don't add arsenic? Oh, snap. Oh. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> uh, because the number of deaths to which she was linked by police, the black press began to follow the story. While Roberta's killing spree did not draw attention from the mainstream white press, Mm -hmm. the black press, including the Pittsburgh Courier and the Chicago Defender, reported on the case and on elders' victims. The coroner declared Roberta's killing spree an unheard of thing that read like something out of a storybook, but it still received little attention from the white press. Mm. surprising yeah surprise <laughs> right so people don't <laughs> people don't realize that 
black people are like or people of color are like capable of the same things yeah. that the white yep. people we're all do human. and we're all human and capable of all the most atrocious, the most things. atrocious uh, things <laughs> all of this <laughs> So now we're going to get into the trial. So Roberta was indicted for the murder of three family members and was held in prison for nine months before her trial. During the trial, the prosecution brought evidence that medicine bottles containing arsenic were found in the home and detectives had located an arsenic mixture used chiefly in agriculture at Miss Elder's sister's home in Watkinsville, Georgia. However, the judge refused to refused to allow much of this evidence to be admitted into the case. One of the witnesses, Dorothy Lou Elder, who was 20, and Mrs. Elder's stepdaughter, testified that she had seen something pink in a brown paper sack in the Elder home prior to her father's death. She told the court it was located in the bottom of a cabinet where medicines had been kept, and she quoted Mrs. Elder as saying it was used to kill bugs, an arsenic mixture found in Roberta's sister's home in Watkinsville was a pink mixture. She also testified that she suffered illnesses similar to those of her dead relatives. She added that Mrs. Elder had given her milk of magnesia, which only made her worse. Another stepdaughter, Viola, said that she vomited and was ill after her stepmother gave her some medicine. But no witness actually saw Roberta place arsenic in a milk of magnesia bottle. Ooh, all right. So the plot thickens. Willie Elder Jr., Roberta's stepson, said that Miss Elder administered medicine to each of the three people who died and added that he stopped eating at the house after his father's death. He said he got sick twice at the breakfast table after eating and thought she might try to poison him too. Witnesses also testified that Roberta, who was the treasurer of a religious organization, I can't remember the name. It wasn't like a church. It was, I want to say the Daughters of the Confederacy, but she was black. <laughs> so it was some other thing. Something like that. Witnesses testified that Roberta was short in her accounts and had a $500 insurance policy on her husband at the time of his death. So based on circumstantial evidence, a superior court, all white jury, convicted Roberta of murdering her husband, but they, they did recommend mercy. However, mm -hmm. the prosecutor lamented that Roberta could not be executed because the law prevented it under circumstantial prosecutions. Throughout the investigation and the trial, Roberta maintained her innocence. Roberta was convicted to a life sentence and remanded to prison. So um, <clears throat> I'm going to just welcome everybody to uh, Culture Corner here. The reason why the jury was white, um, it w all white, was because um, Black people were not allowed to serve on juries. At some point in our history, that changed. In American history, that changed. But anyway, the jury was white because the system uh, designed right. it that way. So where are they now? Well, I'll tell you. The state only tried Miss Elder for one of the three indictments. The other two murder accusations were waiting against her should she ever get paroled and try to get out of jail. Elder was sent to prison having never confessed, and her killing and victims went unremembered. I wonder why. <laughs> yeah, and I'm assuming she died in prison, but we really don't know because no, I uh, couldn't find any information People about didn't that. write about her. People didn't talk yeah. about her or nobody mm -hmm. interviewed her. 
There yeah. wasn't a dateline around then. There was no Keith no. Morrison. No. <laughs> and speaking of the news being racist, the same year as Roberta's prosecution, a white woman named Nanny Doss was accused of killing four out of her five husbands called Lady Bluebeard or the Giggling Granny because she giggled every time she was asked about the killings. Oh, Lord. Yeah, the police later suspected that Doss may have killed 11 family members. So close to uh, Roberta's, but but no cigar. <laughs> no, yeah, Roberta still wins. <laughs> uh, Nanny Doss's case got national attention at the time, and her name still appears in top 10 notable female serial killers, as well as studies on female serial killers. Roberta Elder, not so much. As we know here at Fruit Loops, Black victims do not draw the kind of media scrutiny and interest that white victims do. Um, studies have shown that Black perpetrators are disproportionately overrepresented in the media, while Black victims are tremendously underrepresented. Meanwhile, white victims are overrepresented out of proportion to the rate at which whites are crime victims. So right. do better. Yeah. Be best. <laughs> Be best. <yes>. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't you know, know why I, I laugh every time. <laughs> Be best. Like the first right. Yeah. <laughs> so psychologist Scott Bond has said that myths about serial killers and their victims have led to the assumption that black serial killers do not exist in significant numbers. He argues that this occurs because 90% of serial murderers kill people of the same race. Mm -hmm. I know that's right. Yeah. Because American culture devalues black lives and misrepresents violent crime as something perpetrated by black criminals against white victims, black violent crime victims remain essentially invisible. Yeah. And um, I don't know. <laughs> this is just a silly podcast about true crime from two people who are super unqualified, but maybe we're changing the game. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, we're doing what we can anyway. And, and that's why we started the podcast. That's why we started the podcast. That's right. right. So right. We're, ma we're making history. So now we're going to get into what made him or her snap and our takeaways. So take it away, Beth. Well, I think maybe it was a way for her to solve her problems. Mm -hmm. Living at the time that she did, um, uh, her, the first murder occurred in uh, 1938 during the Depression. Mm -hmm. um, she probably mm -hmm. uh, was pretty poor, didn't have much in the way of money. Mm -hmm. Her first husband, um, it's hard to say exactly what, how that went down. Maybe he was abusive or he didn't pull his weight or who knows what reasons she had or at least convinced herself that she had for killing him. Um, and the babies that she killed, maybe she couldn't afford them. Um, I don't know. But I think I also think mm -hmm. that once someone kills, it becomes easier to kill again. I, I don't think she did it mm -hmm. for thrills. <laughs> I think it was definitely mm -hmm. yeah. um, money. And um, I think that if yeah. you have a rough upbringing, um, poverty, uh, despair, it can make you more emotionally callous. And maybe it's easier to do what you got to do to survive, uh, like 
kill kill your own family members. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. 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 So I was thinking um, that uh, I agree with you that um, life was probably extremely difficult for her at all times. I imagine that. Um, so if this was in the 30s, I imagine that her right. parents might have been slaves or um, at the very least, her grandparents right. might have been enslaved people. Um, I imagine that she was subject to racial terrorism, um, economic um, disenfranchisement. Um, housing might have, was hard to come by for Black people. Jobs was hard to come by. And in the Depression, yeah. it was in even worse. Um, I, you know, she probably couldn't vote um, and she couldn't get ahead. Um, and uh, I think that that is traumatic and I've heard some psychologists say that Black people in America suffer from PTSD right. today, and they probably did back then. Um, now, obviously, she wasn't like in combat, like an Iraq no, but... or Afghanistan vet- veteran or anything like that. But I, I just wonder, you know how when um, soldiers come back from war and um, things are different, yeah. and I, I think how you value life after suffering from PTSD is different. And I think that that had something to do with how she was able to take so many lives of people close to her um, without really even batting an eye. It really was about survival yeah, for her. And I'm no expert too. on PTSD. I'm no expert on like people coming back from the military. I'm just, I'm just sort of trying to like um, right. draw the connection for people listening. Uh, being black in America is very, very difficult. And I have PTSD and I have no doubt that somebody living back then in the thirties, forties and fifties, 50s as a, as a black yeah. person uh had it worse so that's where i think um i think that's sort of what lended to the the wires getting crossed in her head and and leading leading to the crimes that yeah she committed. just just doing what she had to do to survive yeah obviously yeah. there were better ways but yes yes <laughs> but uh <laughs> i i think that's that was her motivation yeah i i, I think so yeah too. how she went about uh dealing with her problems was probably not the best but yeah i i do think that was her motivation yeah so now we are going to get into how not to get murdered so <clears throat> <laughs> if you love true crime and you don't want to die here's a tip for you this segment is not intended to be victim blaming we thought of this segment because i read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer this is not meant to blame the victims it's just learning from other people's mistakes sometimes we have no suggestions for a particular episode and we'll just offer up generic tips so Ms. Roberta Elder poisoned a lot of folks uh, over a lot of years. And at the time, there probably was no national poison control phone number. Uh, but there is now in the United States and um, most countries, I believe, uh, like we have listeners in Canada, Australia, the UK. And I did check online. Those countries do have poison control numbers. So let me give you a few. And I would just say that when you turn off this episode you might want to have the poison control number in your phone because um, you never know yeah. who might try to put arsenic <laughs> in your next, you know, margarita. Anyway, um, the American Association of Poison Control Centers in the United States is 800-222-1222. In Canada, uh, it looks like 
from what I can tell. And if I'm wrong, please let us know, listeners, because I, I, I hate to give inaccurate information. I mean, this is a second rate podcast, but <laughs> so, most, most of the time we try to be accurate. In Canada, each province has their own poison control center and phone number. So like in Ontario, the poison center is uh, 416-813-5900. In Vancouver, it's 604-682-5050. Calgary, it's 800-332-1414. Again, I know we have listeners in Australia. They have poison control as well. I just didn't get the number. Um, So look it up. Um, wherever you live, make sure you know how to reach a poison control center and then your local emergency service phone number and um, know where your hospitals are. Um, if you go on vacation, know where the hospitals are. Good idea. Yeah. Yeah. I've had to call poison control for my kids who ate things they were not supposed to eat <laughs> and they couldn't tell us what it was or how much they ate. And um, poison control is great. You get on the phone with them. They're very helpful. Um, it's free. At least it was when I called. I'm pretty yeah, sure it's it free is. for humans. Mm-hmm. You call for your dog. It's probably pretty. I think you do have to get like pay them if it's for a dog or something. But anyway, I didn't have to pay them anything. And um, I learned that sometimes I was like, should I try to make her throw it up? And they were like, no, because if you don't know what it was, like vomiting might make it worse because if it burned going down, it'll burn coming back up. Um, you know, some sometimes um, there's something things that you can give them to um, like um, help their stomach. Like if you go to the hospital to give you charcoal or something like that, for if you ingest something like too much Advil or something like that. So anyway, get on the phone with poison control though. Um, uh, you know, cause uh, one thing I wanted to also say is like with little kids or really elderly people, it's hard for them to convey what it was they ate or how much they ate. Um, so Try to do as much investigating as possible as you uh, before you get on the phone with poison control, so that when you are communicating with them, um, the more information they have, the better they can help you. Poison control will also call the hospital that you're headed to, and convey the information you shared with them for the providers um, for their understanding and better treatment, and also for the medical records. So that's all I wanted to share. <laughs> That's great advice. Thank you, Wendy. You betcha. So now we're going to get into some serial killer and true crime news. Extra, extra, read all about it. Uh, did you <laughs> Did you have any news? Nope, it's all, yours. <laughs> it's all yours. So I heard about this. I heard about this son of a bitch on The Breakfast Club. You, you all know who Charlamagne the God is. Well, if you're of the culture, you do. Beth, you know who Charlamagne the God is? No. <laughs> uh, so The Breakfast Club is, a, it's like one of those morning zoo radio shows, but it's just for people who are in the hip hop culture, people of color. Like if you're, you know, like with it, then you know what the Breakfast Club is. That's where all the rappers go to do okay. their interviews. Anyway. I'm I'm not <laughs> with it. <laughs> Agree to disagree. Uh, don't say that about my friend, Beth. Anyway, <laughs> Charlemagne the God is, he's the provocateur on the show. And he has a segment called Donkey of the Day for the, you know, the latest asshole, like, um, or the latest dumbass who does something stupid. Right. So, um, uh, and I also, so uh, he talked about this dude. I found a little bit more information online. Uh, this uh, came from a People article. Um, he killed a mom of two in front of her 11-year-old oh. twin sons. Oh, my God. 40 years ago, he killed his wife in front of his daughter oh in a God. similar way. Albert Holy Flick. Shit. Albert Flick is this man's name. F-L-I-C-K. Might spend the rest of his life in prison, as he should. 
Nine years ago, a judge said, and this is the judge's mistake, said Albert Flick was too old to be dangerous. He was Uh. then in his late 60s and had served more than 25 years in prison for violent crimes against women. Um, At some point, Mr. Flick was going to age out of his capacity to engage in this conduct. Maine Superior Court Justice Robert E. Crowley stated at the time, according to the Portland Press Herald, but on Wednesday uh, last week, uh, the now 77-year-old was convicted of stabbing a woman, in, again, in front of her oh two kids in broad daylight. Uh. The morning of July 15th, Flick trailed Kimberly Dobby and her kids from a Dunkin' Donuts to the laundromat, the Press Herald reported. Dobby had just put a load of laundry in when she stepped outside to make a phone call. She was sitting on the steps talking on her cell phone while her boys played on the sidewalk. When Flick stabbed her, at least oh 11 times. Just like out of the blue? Out of the blue. Wow. Yeah, I think he might have been like following her. Um, da- uh, Dennis Fisher, who was in town on business and happened to be in the laundromat, heard Dobby scream. Um, he ran outside and dropped kicked Flick. Oh my which God. is, that is a hell of a move. Holding the elderly man down to the ground with his foot until police arrived. Um, and again, this was not his first murder um, he probably should have yeah. never been released. That, in fact, that time he killed he killed his, his former wife decades ago in front of his twelve uh, or her twelve year old daughter. Um, he used a knife, uh, and I think he stabbed her fourteen times. Wow! Um, and he got thirty years in prison, but he was re- again released because the judge said he was too old to be a bad guy. Obviously not. Anyway, obviously not. So he's been convicted. That's the news. That's good news. So yeah, yeah. Sorry, it was about a white dude though. (laughs) So now we're gonna get into the shout out section of our show. This is where we shout out any content of people of color about people of color or any true crime goodies or things about LGBTQ women. You know, anybody marginalized. Yeah, that kind of stuff. So my shout out is for. Um, Seen on Radio, and it is a podcast by the Center for Documentary Studies at Duke University. Um, They've been rebroadcasting their Seeing White series, which is a real examination of the history of the social construct of race and white supremacy in this country. And they interview experts on just, uh, and they also interview just like regular Joe and Jane Schmoes on the street about what it is and how to dismantle white supremacy and racism. And if you have no idea where to start on putting your white fragility aside or have you know, no idea where to start in terms of having a conversation about race and you're not ready to like join the Black Lives Matter chapter in your town, that's okay. Listen to this podcast, Seen on Radio, Seeing White Series. Um, I also wanted to shout out, because um, the Emmy nominations came out and lots of people of color and LGBTQ women were nominated um, for Emmys like P- the show Pose, the show Claws, we've shouted them out before. Um, when They See Us, The Handmaid's Tale, This Is Us, Fleabag, How to Get Away with Murder, all the things. So it's exciting. Yeah, very exciting. Well, what do that, Beth? Um, I just wanted to shout out a podcast that I found over the weekend, uh, just randomly. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's called uh, Psychology in Seattle. Huh? Yeah, the host is a psychologist named Kirk Honda who is half mm-hmm. Japanese, and his friend, uh, Umberto Castaneda, mm-hmm. who is from Colombia. Oh, cool. Um, he also sometimes has other therapists on as co-hosts. 
And it's right down my alley because he talks about psychology, which I find fascinating. Mm-hmm. But he also goes on tangents and he often talks about race, true crime stories. And the most fun of all, he will psychoanalyze characters from TV, like uh, Game of Thrones characters. Oh, no way. Yeah. Oh, wow. So that's that super sounds fun. really cool. Yeah. So oh, check it out. So psychology in Seattle. Psychology in Seattle. Okay. Thank you so much, Beth. Sure. So this has been fun, but I have to get back to my Midwest vacation. <laughs> so where can, the, where can the people find us, Beth? Our <laughs> website is fruitloopspod.com. Our Facebook page is Fruit Loops Pod. And our discussion group is Fruit Loops Pod Discussion on Facebook. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at Fruit Loops Pod. And links to our sources will be in our footnotes. If you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash app, which you can download to your phone, or you can find online at cash.me forward slash dollar sign Fruit Loops Pod, or you can become a monthly patron through our Podbean patron page. This will help us pay for things like our website and pod hosting. There's no minimum and no commitment. Even a dollar would help. We also have merch on our website now at fruitloopspod.com forward slash merch. So this is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every Thursday. So until next time, look alive, guys. It's crazy out there. you to Barry Clue, an authorised financial advisor from New Zealand and a very special kind of stain on humanity. He was a very uh, knowledgeable young guy. He was a registered financial advisor. Type of guy that was bending over backwards to help you. Now you could be forgiven for thinking that Barry sounds like a great guy and you'd be right. Well, right up until the point when you're wrong. It was all fictitious. You stole from my son who has a disability. Chris never knew. He died believing that we're all taken care of. A psychopath is somebody who lacks empathy, acts impulsively. I think there's a strong case that Barry might be all of those things, actually. To find out how Barry Clue stole over $15 million from 81 victims, subscribe to Clueless, the long con. That's Clueless, spelt K-L-O-O-G-H-L-E-S-S. We are gathered here today to give you permission to plan the wedding that you want. I'm Jessica Bishop. And I'm Sari Wienerman. And we're the hosts of the Bouquet Toss podcast. Today's couples have to juggle so many things, from family expectations to outdated traditions and what's currently trending. So to make it easier, we're going deep to figure out why we do weddings the way that we do, so you can decide what to keep and what to toss from your wedding day plans. 
You are cordially invited to subscribe to The Bouquet Toss wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcast.com. By the power vested in us, we pronounce you free to plan your day your way.